0: This evening, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20, uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there, starting in verse 17, uh, and we'll just start verse 17 right here. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you. Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that this Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves. is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight. Lord, we thank you that you have given us this opportunity to read your words. God, to read your account of your missionary, Paul, Lord, we pray that these words would be more than just knowledge that we are accumulating, but that instead, that God, this would serve to be conviction in our hearts, that it would be encouragement, it would be motivation. That God, tonight as we learn about Paul's legacy, that God, it would push us to begin to be intentional about our own legacy. Lord, I pray that this message would be completely of you, that, Lord, you would destroy the man that I am so that only you would shine forth. God, I pray that you would be stirring our hearts and our minds, preparing us to leave this room as changed people. Lord, we pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but generally, uh, our minds work Uh, with triggers. Our our memories are often brought about by uh, triggers. Uh, What I mean by that is a lot of times you will see, you know, a certain object or a certain location, or you'll you'll smell something particular, and it just brings up suddenly this huge, uh, you know, this one particular memory. Uh, I had a a buddy who is in grad school right now, and he has said for the entirety of his college career, every single time uh, he's taken a standardized test, in college, uh, whenever he gets that scantron, he always has this flashback to second grade. Uh, when there was a group of us, I grew up, we grew up together, and we were in class, and we were taking uh, the standardized tests, and there was all these questions about like, American history and things like that, and it had these images, and it asked which one of these does not belong, and they were images of uh, Native Americans, and they were you know, like cooking over a campfire, and one of them, they are like catching fish. And then another one, there's an Indian like holding like a AK-47 or something like that. And so in that moment, right, you know, as a second grader, you're, you're weighing your options. You're like, well, I don't know. They, they were pretty crazy, I think, you know, and they had to kill buffalo somehow, right? And so you're kind of thinking through. But in that moment, he said that suddenly the, in this quiet, like standardized, this is like our final, uh, in the room, one kid just yells out, Look out! That Indian's got a gun! And everyone just loses it, right? Like everyone just, like, some people actually get worried because you're in second grade and you don't know what's going on, so they start crying. And then a couple of the kids are, like, like, just, like, laughing hysterically. And the teacher is, like, trying to, like, calm everyone down. And he says every, literally every time he's taken a standardized, every time he's had a scantron, ever since, he all, every time he sits down, he looks down and he thinks, Look out, that Indian's got a gun. Every single time. Uh, I have a, there's a guy named John Dyer, uh, and this is a, he's an accomplished fellow. I actually looked up online to make sure like I had all his credentials right. He's up in at Dallas Theological Seminary, actually, and he uh, is. He's, you know, he's written uh, in some books, and he he works on camp, on staff up there in Dallas. Uh, he went to college. He started college when he was like sixteen because uh, he was Doogie Howser, and like he did like all these cool things in his life. And he's just a very comp- like very smart guy. Uh, people love him. He has a website where he uh, reviews biblical commentaries, which is like. Really intense, and so he does all these really cool things. Highly respected. But every time I hear John Dyer's name, uh, I have a flashback uh, to his time here at Grace. I had I had some buddies who were in junior high ministry here at Grace, and they told me about when John Dyer was their leader while they were here, while they were in seventh and eighth grade here at Grace Bible Church. And while John Dyer was their leader, they said there was one thing that they learned from him in two years right? this brilliant theological mind they said they learned one thing and that's how to pee in public without people knowing he said they said that what he told them. They one time they were like out like at the park and like playing frisbee or something and so one of them really had to pee and they're like i don't know what to do and he's like dude listen up and so john dyer went over and showed him he said look this is all you gotta do he went they're in like the middle of a field and he just goes and he says look, all you gotta do is kneel down and pretend like you're tying your shoe and then you just pee off to the side and so the kid was like, all right. And that's, and that's what they did. And that's every time I see John Dyer, I've heard his name like being up at DTS and stuff like that. They're like, well, the keynote speaker is John Dyer. And I'm like, peeing in a field. <laughs> peeing in a field. That's all it is. Like, he better not tie his shoe during the sermon because I don't know what he's doing. Right? Like, I, I know that. Like, I've got that memory. And that's what comes up every time because that's the legacy that he left. Right? That's the impression that he gave all of these guys my age. Right? That, that's what I think of when I, when I hear his name. It, it's similar to the way that a lot of times actors get typecast. Right, a lot of times actors will complain because, you know, for example, maybe you're Daniel Radcliffe, and that's he's Harry Potter, by the way, and he's so he's Harry Potter, right? And, and he was Harry Potter in eight movies, and we saw him grow up and turn from you know every to like every. right? And so like we saw that you know, over the span of those years. And and because of that, I mean, honestly, I cannot see him like in an interview or like I know he was like in a play or something with a horse and like he was in this like movie that was like a horror movie or something. But every single time I'm just like, oh, Harry Potter's in a play. That's so cool. Like that's what I think every time because he will always be Harry Potter. That's just the way it is, right? And it's one of those things that we just have to come to grips with is the fact that we are constantly leaving impressions on people. We are constantly creating a legacy for ourselves. Every, I guarantee you, think back to the people that you've known, and every time you run into them, or if I said one of your old friend's names, you would think of one particular instance. And a lot of times, when you hear someone's name, you only think of one, you can, one thing total. Right? Because we are constantly leaving impressions. We're constantly moving in and out of lives. We're going to a school, and then we leave the school. We join an organization, and eventually we leave the organization. And every time we do that, we are creating a legacy. We make an impression on people. And our culture realizes that. Our world sees that, and they, they've, they've noticed this. And so some people, their entire lives are structured around what legacy can I build for myself, right? That's why you go to a and and you see all these buildings that have, like, really funky names, Right? That's why you've got, you know, Wainer, which sounds kind of weird. Or you've got, uh, you know, like, I don't know, the, the Dorm Dun, right? You've got uh, the—I hist- was a history major. Our, our history building was called Glasscock, and that's a weird name. Let's just be honest, right? And, and it's because some dude at some point donated a ton of money to the school, and so they're like, you know what? You get the library, Good job, George Bush. I mean, he's a president, but you know what I'm saying. So, like, people did, like, really cool stuff. And so, because of that, they have this legacy built for themselves, right? They get their name up above, right? That's why you go to parks and there's, like, people's names on benches because they're giving money to create that thing. They want that legacy. They know they need something that lasts. And our culture is constantly trying, trying to build those things. But what's so sad and what's so terrible is that every time they're trying to build that legacy, man, it's for themselves. It's, it's for, look at me. Look what I did. Look at my name on that scholarship fund. Look at my name on that, you know, that bill that just got passed through legislature. Look at my name on that Wikipedia page, right? That's, that's me. That's what I did. And when we look in Scripture... I mean, we, we, we see legacies, but we don't see legacies like that. When we read Acts 20, we see Paul talking to the Ephesians' elders. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and so on his way, he wanted to stop by because he loved the church of Ephesus. Man, he helped found it. Uh, he wrote to these people. He, he loved them. He knew them. And so he stopped nearby and called the elders of the church to come see him. And so they have this kind of final uh, gathering, and he gives them this final message that we just read. And in it, he kind of covers three big things. He covers uh, kind of his past legacy. He talks about his present struggles, and then he sort of talks about their future—you know, things to be look out for. But this evening, you know, what we're looking at is specifically that legacy he talks about, that legacy that he created. And when we look at Paul's legacy, we don't see Paul. Instead, we see Christ. You see God. We see a man who built a legacy that said, look at God instead of look at me. And we are all creating legacies. Whether you realize, I just, if you don't get that yet, please get that. You are creating a legacy here at A&M. If you're undergrad, grad school, some of us are graduating in May, some of us are graduating in December, some of us are graduating in the summer, right? And I guarantee you, when you leave, there will be a legacy, there will be some impact that you've had. Maybe your name won't be on a building, but you'll have a couple people that were your lab partners. Or you'll have someone who was in this organization with you. You'll have that TA who you had to meet with like six or seven times, right? And then push your graduation further, right? That, that you have, You have that. You will have that impact. And I need us to realize that when we're making this impact, we need to be intentional, just like Paul was. To make sure that our legacy is not built for us, but instead is built entirely for God. And when we look at the way Paul created his legacy, he outlines three pillars of his legacy. Specifically, he talks about his motive, his method, and his message. And those three things, when taken together, those come together and create his legacy that that points people to the Lord. If you look at verse 18... He starts talking about why, right? He starts talking about his motive for why he lived among the Ephesians. Why was he at the church? What was his motive behind it? Verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Right? So he lived among them for the whole time from the first day. Why? Why? Serving the Lord, to serve the Lord. Paul is telling them, look, this is why I did what I did, because I wanted to serve God, because I wanted to glorify God. And we see this over and over and over again in Paul's writings. Uh, when he's writing uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. Over and over again, we see Paul hit this. He says, look, I don't want you to get the wrong impression. Realize, why do I do this? Why am I acting this way? Why am I giving this message? It's because I want to serve God. It's because I want to glorify God. It's because I want to please God. That's why I do what I do. And that is huge. Right? Our motives, man, they matter so much. Uh, I ran uh, the junior high ministry here at Anderson, uh, right across the way, in the gym, for three years. Okay, three years I was running junior high ministry, uh, and let me tell you, if you've never been in junior high ministry, that is, that is the front lines, that is the trench warfare of ministry, uh, because you have junior high kids, and they are just horrendous. I mean, they're, they're really great in lots of ways, but they are also, oh, there's so much just stuff. Like, I, I um, to this day, uh, I carry scars, uh, some physical, mostly emotional, but I have these scars, from my time, like when someone tries to come and like, if anyone tries to high-five me, which is rare because older people don't really do that, that much anymore, unfortunately. But someone, you know, if they come to high-five, I will legitimately, to this day, I will still flinch. I haven't done junior high ministry. That was two years ago. I ended my three years two years ago. And I still like, someone like comes to me like, hey, I'm just, <laughs> I, just I flinch. Because I'm so used to, it. every time a junior high kid would run up to me with their hand up, they would then just slap me in the chest, right? Or like knock me in the side or like punch me in the nose. Like that's, that's all they knew how to do. Uh, in a similar way, uh, I still like, ugh, I, I, I f- literally flinch anytime someone tries to tap me on the shoulder. Like, if someone tapped me on the shoulder to tell me something, I would automatically look the, to the other shoulder and I would jerk away. So, a lot of times I like bump into them. I'm like, wow, oh, sorry. Right? Because I'm so used to the way junior high kids roll, man, is they'll come up, they'll like tap you on the shoulder, and then you're like, what? And you're like, oh, dang it. And then boom, they like hit you. And so, you're like, dang, like, that's those are the kids that I dealt with. I had just these aggressive future prisoners like they were they were acting this way and and because of that man I've got this just this experience and and there was this one night in particular that I remember about maybe like three years ago where where I got home and it was just I was getting frustrated right I was just tired uh you know middle of the week and my wife uh who I love dearly she just kind of you know could tell I'd had a rough evening and so she's like hey you know how'd it go and how, is it okay? And I'm like, no. Right? no it's not horrible, right? They hit me, and I'm bleeding, and uh, I'm crying too, right? And, and she told me, well, Jacob, she said, tell me why. Why are you in junior high ministry? So why are you doing it? I was like, well, I don't know, right? And in that moment, I really had to stop and think. I was like, guys, I'm assuming that God's punishing me for something, right? Like, I, there's got to be some reason, but I, I'm not really sure. Like, I, I, I'd been doing it for two years up to that point. I was like, I, I don't know. And she's like, Jacob, you know why. says, so it's because you want those kids to know Jesus. So it's because you want to lead those kids to Christ. It's because you want them to know Christ. That's why. She's like, don't forget that. Don't forget that that's your motivation. Don't forget that, that, that excitement, that passion, that drive even in the midst of your frustration, don't forget why you're doing it. And I tell you, I, I still think that to this day as I get frustrated with, you know, ministry or doing things, mean, I, I just take myself back to that moment where I think, okay, why? And it was actually really funny because I told my wife last night uh, that I was going to be using that illustration today, uh, and she was like, I don't even remember saying that, but okay, right? So like this like huge impactful moment for me, she's like, whatever. But Still impactful, right? it's still important, right? and I still go back to it. I still think, Why am I in this? It's because I want them to know Christ, it's because I want to lead people. Why am I standing here right now this evening? Why am I standing here on the, with this podium with these screens going? Right? Why am I doing this? It's because I want you to know Christ, it's because I want you to grow closer to Him. That's why our motive is so huge because when we look in our world, we see so many wrong motives. Right? Even Paul made a point back then to point out, like, hey, look, by the way, I'm not motivated by these things. right? Because, man, there have been wrong motives for all of history. And what's really funny is that it's normally the same thing. It's normally either wealth or happiness. That's, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much what motivates the secular culture around us. That's why in verse 33, Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. He's saying, look, I didn't do this for money or glory or clothes, which I think is really funny, right? Like, I, I didn't do this for, for my own happiness. I didn't do this for selfish reasons. And, man, I would encourage you, think, how many t- decisions have you made that were motivated by the paycheck? Or, or how many relationships have you started because you really wanted to get something? Or how many unhealthy relationships have you seen where it's just two selfish people trying to get the most out of each other? How many people do you know right now that are looking for jobs and are stressed out, maybe started jobs last semester or last year, and they're just wrecked because they're out there just trying to make money, and I tell you, there's never enough. There's never enough. How often do you see Those wrong motives, because man, they are all around us. How many times do you buy into that? I remember uh, in eighth grade. Speaking of legacies, there's one kid that I, uh, this one guy that I grew up with, and uh, he, you know, we we were in school together for like six years. But the only thing I remember about him is one moment in eighth grade. We were sitting in class, and he was talking to this girl and kind of like flirting around. They were talking, oh, ha, ha, and jabbing, right? maybe writing a note or something. And then she left. And I turned to him, Garrett, and I said, Garrett, I was like, do you like, what's the deal, man? You like Aubrey now? Like, what's, what's going on? Like, you guys seem to have something going on right there. And he was like, like no, nah, man, no way. That girl is not cute. I was like, whoa, okay, Garrett. Uh, well, what's, what's going on? Because, you know, it seemed like you, you guys were really, really, really friendly. Uh, and he was like, well, you know. He's like, let me tell you something, Jacob. Let me, t- let me tell you a strategy for life. That's what he told me. Word for word. I'm going to give you a strategy for life. I <laughs> said, what is it? He said, you can be nice to all girls. He says, maybe you just want to be nice to girls that you think are cute. He says, but you need to be nice to all the girls. Because if you're nice to a girl that you don't think is cute, she will go tell her cute friend that you are nice. <laughs> and then you can go talk to her cute friend, and then you can date. And I said, Wow. You are so sleazy. Like, that is, that is the worst advice I've ever gotten. Uh, but that was his thing, man. And now he's got a band in Austin. And he's got hair down to his, like, his butt and it's awesome. But like, that's, that's what he's doing. Good job, Garrett. But every time I see him, man, that's what pops up. I think of that eighth grade situation. I think of this guy who's you know, creating these relationships, being so kind and loving and, and being nice to this girl. Why? For completely selfish motives. And let me tell you, those things come out. Your motives will be revealed. So when people think back to you, when you are creating this legacy in in your organization or at your school, I promise you, your motive matters so much. Will people think back on you and think, yeah, that guy, man, he he was doing that for God. She was living for the Lord. Will they think that? Because motive is huge. And, And it's more than just that, though, right? It's more than just motive. We also see Paul emphasize his method the way that he did, not just why he lived a certain way, but, but how did he live, right? Look at verse 18 again. We're going to read 18 and 19 one more time. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set for serving the Lord. How? With all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews." Paul highlights three main things about how he lived, his methods. Three big pieces. First of them is humility. Right now, this is really big for Paul because Paul had a lot that he could brag about. Uh, when, you, when you looked at Paul, you would see a very accomplished guy. Uh, even in uh, Philippians chapter 3, he goes through and he starts rattling off a lot of his accomplishments, a lot of things that he done. He says, you yeah, I'm, I'm from this tribe and I studied with this guy and you know, I was this type of Pharisee and I know these sorts of things. He calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews right? Basically like super Hebrew. Like that's, that's what he was describing himself. Big H on the chest and a cape and a yarmul- or mano- or yarmulke or right? Like he's got, he's got all this stuff, right? Like that, that's, that's what he was saying. I mean, I was Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a super Hebrew. I was this high, I mean, I, I was on the top of the ladder. And he says, you know what? I count all of it for nothing, because I don't think any of it matters at all. Compared to what? Compared to my knowledge of Jesus Christ. Compared to the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ, my Savior. He says, that is the most important thing. And he says, that makes me humble because the relationship that we have with Christ is a gift. It's completely free. Because Paul realized that if, as long as you realize that you are a sinner, as long as you trust in the fact that Christ came to this earth, And died for those sins, paid that penalty, and then rose again three days later, proving his power and authority over sin, over death. As long as you believe he did that and ask him, call out to him and ask him for forgiveness of your sins. As long as you do that, you're saved. It's done. And Paul says, that is the most important thing about me. That is the best thing that's ever happened in my life. So why would I care about all these things that I've done compared to what Christ did? Why would I brag about these things that I've accomplished compared to what Christ has done in my life? He says, this is the ultimate. That's why he was so humble. And he's telling them, look, this is a huge piece. This is a huge piece of our legacy, Because a lot of times when we walk through this world, we are tempted to be so prideful. Because our world constantly is telling us, it's all about you. It's all about you. You believe what you want to believe. You do what you want to do. You do what makes you happy. That's what our world tells us over and over and over again. And Paul's saying, no, don't. Because that is a legacy. If you are motivated in that way, if you have that method of being prideful, that legacy that you're going to leave will be all about yourself and not about God. Last week, uh, when I spoke here in the evening, I, I left and was talking with my wife, Susan, as we were going uh, grocery shopping, and uh, as we were talking, a lot of times I, I like to debrief with her. I like to you know, talk with her. I like to talk about you know, my, my messages and kind of how things went, or you know, I get feedback from her, because, and because she is you know, loving and gracious, she's willing to have that conversation with me over and over and over again, right? Because I talk... Every week, at least once, probably twice, right? So every single time that I talk, I want to like talk to her and be like, Well, you know, how what do you, what'd you think about this? Okay, okay, right. Uh, Ring my hands. Uh. And then we have that like, conversation. And last week when we were talking, uh, she I was like, you know, how do you feel like when I feel like you know, could have tightened this part up, could have done this right different. And she's like, Well, it's like I, I thought it was really great, but she's like, I don't know. At the beginning you came across kind of belligerent. I was like, oh, it's like What? Like how? She's like, well, she's like, you're just kind of. It seemed you you came across kind of arrogant and prideful at the beginning. I was like, well, what did how? Like I I was legitimately trying to remember, like, what did I say? Was I just like, shut up? Like I don't know. Like what did I do to make her feel that way? And she's like, well, she's like, when you got up, you 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 know, you're talking about transitioning into college. She's like, and you said something about like taking over. you You used the word like taking over college ministry. And she's like, and just I felt like you were invading my country. And I was like, okay, well. All right, that's fair. I'll give it to you. You know, I can I can be a little bit you know more careful with my wording. Okay, you know, say so like, hey, I'm excited. You know, whatever. Like, i okay. I can change that. I was like, that sounds good. I was like, okay. So thank you for the feedback. She's like, well, and I'm like, what? What else could I possibly do? That was so prideful. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. And she's like, well, she's like, you also could probably talk a little bit less about setting things on fire. I was like, okay. Oh, and then I remembered, right? I like, oh, that's right, because after I introduced myself, for some, I don't even remember how I got there, but for some reason I got to the point of the evening service needing to build street cred, and the way we were going to do that is by setting things on fire. And so my wife was like, well, you know, maybe you don't want to do that. And I was like, you know, that is literally my favorite sentence of advice I've ever received. Maybe you should stop talking so much about setting things on fire. I'm going to put that on a bumper sticker and monogram it on my clothes, because that's awesome, right? And I was like, okay. I was like, that's good. And I was like, okay, thank you for that feedback, right? Because I don't want to be prideful. Right? I don't want to come across in that way, because I'm not, I promise. And I, I did not want to create that impression. And so my wife lovingly, graciously gave me that advice, because she knows that I don't want to build this legacy for Jacob. I don't want to be here, and I don't want to give you this message. So you think, hmm, thanks, Jacob, right? That's not, that's not my goal. My goal, and the way I want to go about this, is to just point you to Christ, to point you to him, because nothing that I say, nothing that I do, no example I give could mean anything compared to what God does in your hearts. That's why I give messages, and what I love is that God will just pop, pop me on the head, because I'll give this message and be like, oh yeah, so glad I made this point, or so glad I had this illustration, and then a kid will come up and talk to me and be like, man, I really liked it. I, it really convicted me about this. And this thing that they tell me has nothing at all to do with my entire message, like nowhere in it. I'm like, wow. Well, I'm glad that God was obviously in control of that, right? Over and over and over again, I see that where God is just saying, look, it's, it's me. I know there's nothing that I can say that will change your heart or change your mind. I know that it's the Lord's work within you. Hopefully he speaks through me, but it's not me right? We need to have that humility. Our method needs to be one that points to Christ because what he has done is so much bigger. Our godly legacy requires humility. But more than that, also within his method, Paul talks about, you see, he says he was in tears, with tears, right? And Paul's not just saying like, you know, oh yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I was so emotional, or like cutting onions. Like that's not, he's not talking about like Actual just like, oh, we cried so much. But he's saying, look, I cried because I cared about you guys. He says, I cared. I genuinely loved you. Because I tell you, you don't cry for someone unless you really care about them. Especially if you're a dude, right? Especially if you're tough. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was uh, in the process of uh, getting ready for the first uh, funeral that I'd ever performed, that I'd ever spoken at. Uh, and so uh, in that process, I met with the family uh, a few days before the service to like, at the funeral home, we were talking with the people and, you know, going through details and set up the service. Uh, and in that process, you know, it's just, there's a lot to take in. There's a lot to go on. You just, you got to get things done after that. And the family is upset, you know, understandably. They had a 15-year-old kid that just died. And so in that moment, man, we're, we're there and we're talking and, and we kind of get stuff done. And, and so myself and, and an older pastor uh, here at Grace who was kind of helping walk me through the whole process, we, we got in his car and we were leaving. And it was just that moment where I just, I just had to breathe and I just had some emotional outlet. And I just, I mean, I just, I teared up, cried a little bit just because I, it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot. I knew the kid and it was just, it was a sad, tragic moment. And in that moment, man, I tell you, it was weird, right? Because I'm in this car with this guy and we're just, we're driving and he's, you know, and it's it's good in a way that, you know, that we were able to be honest, but it's just like, I felt, you know, I felt like uncomfortable. I was like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this, right? But in that moment, he's just like, hey, you did good. You did good, kid. You know, and I felt like Han Solo, like Pat and Luke Skywalker on the back, right? And I was like, all right, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Let's, let's go get that Death Star, right? Like, let's do it, right? And I was like, yeah, okay, right? And it was, it was just this beautiful moment where he's like, hey. You did good in there. And I was like, okay. Right? Anyway, let's, let's, let's go, right? Let's go wrestle a moose and punch a tree. Like, let's, let's do this, right? I was like, man. Because, you know, you don't want to have that emotional just like uh, outpouring, right? But Paul's, he's unashamed. He says, look, I, I cried with you guys because I cared so much. And a lot of times, man, we see people that they just don't care, right? I, gosh, I, in, at a I had so many people that I would run into that would just frustrate me to no end because you could just tell. You would have one conversation with them and you're like, you don't care about me at all. Why are we talking, right? I eventually started calling them either the perpetual camp counselor or the uh, social steamroller because I like alliteration. And so I would call them these things because it was those people that, man, I know you know them and I pray that you are not one of them because they would roll up on your group, right? Maybe you're talking with a friend. They come over to your friend's house. They're like a friend of a friend or whatever. They come over. And they're like talking. And maybe you're there. You're having a conversation. And they're like, oh, hey, guys. What's up? Blah, 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 blah. Right? And they just start talking at you, right? And there, maybe a lot of them worked at camps like over the summer. And I felt like a lot of times they would come back from camp. And they would just still have, kind of have that mindset of like, you're not really a person because you're 10, right? But we're not anymore. But he was saying, you know, I'm just gonna, hey, like, well, how did you, how was your weekend? Really? Oh, that's great, champ, or good job, sport, right? Or Chief, right? They would have these demeaning terms. They're just like, oh, yeah, that's really cool, buddy. Good job, right? This is rubbing my head, if you can tell. But that's that's what they would do, right? And in those moments, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, why, why, like, why, why are you initiating this conversation, right? I had a roommate. He would love, love to ask you about your day. He would ask you, like, hey, so what would you think about this? And you would begin, like, oh, well, well, I mean, I thought this. Or, you know, Susan and I, we had this thing. We were talking. And you would kind of tell. you would talk, and his eyes would just kind of, like, like he just kind of like glazed a little bit. He'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then as soon as you had a pause, you wouldn't even have to be done. This was my favorite part. You wouldn't have to be done with your story. And so a lot of times I would just put in a pregnant pause for no reason just to test him. And so I would kind of be like, so, yeah, so then we went to... And in that moment, like in his mind, he's like, oh, he stopped. And so then he'd be like, well, I thought blah, 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 blah. Because the whole reason he asked the question was because he wanted to tell me what he thought, right? And so you have this whole conversation where it's just like, you don't care. You don't care, right? Because that is so obvious. We pick up on that. And what Paul is saying is that, look, if you want a godly legacy, you care. You genuinely care about people. Man, I would challenge you. Be thinking. Do you care? Do you ask people Legitimate questions? Do you follow up with them? If they tell you, yeah, man, I'm really struggling. I'm really scared of this test that I have on Thursday. Or my mom has surgery tomorrow, and I don't know how it's going to go. Do you follow up with them? Do you text them the next day? When you see them a week later, do you ask them about that event? It's those little things, man, that that's what shows people that we legitimately care. As believers, we should be intentional with that. We should be intentionally caring and loving the people around us because that's what builds a godly legacy but in addition to being humble in addition to his tears paul tells him that he was in trials in trials with them and this isn't just paul like tooting his horn right this isn't paul just saying like back in my day we had lots of trials right Uphill both ways in the snow. Right? And like he's not. He's not saying that. He's not saying like oh, I had so many trials. Those darn plots. Right, like he's not. He's not saying those things. Instead, he's bringing up this idea of trial because he's reminding them. Remember those times that we went through trials, and remember the way that I acted in those trials. Because when you read Acts, when you read the epistles, you see that Paul over time and time and time again trials and persecution and horrible things pop up in his life and he faces them all the exact same way with calm confidence in God over and over and over again he goes to prison he starts singing right he gets beaten he goes back to the town a few years later right we see Paul constantly confident in God in God's promises, in that, that faith under trial, man, that, that's huge because a lot of times when we see people, man, they change under pressure. If you maybe have known someone for a while, I guarantee you do not know that person until you see them under immense pressure because that's where our real character shows. That's where the true inner being comes out. Uh, I, a few years ago, I went dove hunting uh, for the first time ever with a couple of my buddies down in South Texas, Uh, We went to one of my friends, his uh, dove lease or I don't know, whatever. And so we went there and we had, you know, these shotguns and you're walking around and you're looking in the trees and you're trying to find dove. uh, And it was kind of the end of the season, so there weren't a lot. So we were just kind of randomly firing sometimes. And so, you know, just kind of go, yay and we're fanned out, right? You stay in the semicircle. And so we're kind of shooting into these trees. We're like, that looks like a dove. Nope. Right? But we you know, shooting over and over again. We catch a few. Right? I shot two, which is pretty good, I think. And then after you kill them, you have to pop their. Anyway. So anyway, you do this stuff. <laughs> it's gross. Uh, so you do all this stuff. Anyway, so you're hunting doves. And we're in the moment. Uh, and I'm getting excited. right? I've already gotten two. right? You're pulling their heads off. And you're like putting them in your bag. And so suddenly I see this dove. And it's like, you have to wait until they get off of the branch because otherwise it's cheating, right? To shoot them with a huge gun, right? It's cheating no matter what. But it starts to fly right away from this tree. And so I kind of track it. I go, boom, and I shoot at it. But unfortunately, one of my friends, Travis, whose lease it actually was, he uh, had moved from his prior position, right? He had a nice folding chair in a certain spot, but he got up and he moved away from it. And so when I shot at this dove and missed, of course, I suddenly heard, "ah," and I realized I looked down the tree line and I see Travis and he's clutching himself because I had just shot him with a gun. And so I freak out and rush over to him, right? And understandably. And so I'm rushing over. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I shot Travis. His wife and my wife are both going to be so mad. Like this is, <laughs> this is going to be really, really bad. Like, if he's dead, then I just need to go to Canada. Like, I, I got to get out of here because my wife will destroy me. Uh, so I'm running over. Man, I like, run up on Travis. I'm like, are you okay? Are you okay? He's like, oh, I don't He's like, I don't know. Uh. I, he's like grunting on stuff. And then he's like, oh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm fine. And he had, granted, I had shot him in the arm. But like, it was okay. It was just like a couple BBs and like popped him out. So it was not a big deal. And so in that moment, in that moment, Travis was very gracious, and because you could tell I was just, like, stressed out and super worried. He's like, hey, dude, totally fine. Don't worry about it. I totally forgive you, man. It's all right. Let me just get this shrapnel out of my body, right? Like, just, it's, it's okay. And so, in that moment, my respect for Travis went so high. I was like, thank you, God, for Travis and his calmness in the situation, right? Because I see him just reacting in such a good way, right? In a positive manner, as opposed to another one of my buddies a year before that accidentally got shot in the head uh, and they had to pop it out like a pimple and it was really bad, but he got really mad. Understandably, but he was still really mad and so, you know, it's just it's different. So, we see that, right? We see that reaction under pressure and a lot of times, man, that, that really reveals to us what this person's all about. How does this person really, how do they really deal with life? And when I saw Travis react calmly, I was like, wow. That's impressive, right? And I remember that. When I, when I think of Travis, I remember that. And so when Paul says, look, remember my trials, it's because he's reminding them, remember how I responded to those trials. Remember the way that I put my faith in God. Because a godly legacy is more than just humble. It's more than just uh, genuinely loving people. It's also responding well in difficult circumstances. It's having that firm faith. I guarantee you, if you have not faced that yet, it is coming. It is fast approaching. There will be trial and tribulation in your life. And you are called as a Christian, as a believer, to face that head on, firm in your faith in God. Because when you do that, man, it, people notice. And it starts to build that godly legacy. And the very last thing that Paul talks about is more than just his motives, more than just his method, he also talks about his message. Because those first two things are, are useless unless your message matters. Verse 20, he says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul reminded these elders at Ephesus that the crucial, the hinge, the ultimate piece of his legacy is not just the, you know, why he lived a certain way, not just how he lived, but also what was the ultimate purpose? What was the message behind his actions? And it was the gospel. That's it, the gospel. You know, Paul talked about so many things. So much of our theology is based on Paul's writings, right? God inspiring Paul to write these things in our Bible, And Paul had so much wisdom and so much knowledge and so much insight that God had given him. And yet he tells us, you know what the number one thing, the most important thing I could possibly ever tell you? It's the gospel of Christ. That's it. That's the big thing. And what's sad is that a lot of times we as believers, man, we know it, right? You can't become a believer unless you understand it, right, and accept it for yourself. But what's so sad is I see time and time again in junior high kids and high school kids in college students, that even though we might know the gospel deep down, we are woefully unprepared to communicate it. To where I have college students come in and want to interview and become youth leaders, and I ask them, Tell me the gospel. Give me the gospel in a sentence. Give me the gospel in like a phrase, a, a paragraph. And they'll go on for like five minutes. I had a girl give me the gospel one time, and she's like, well, she starts talking about, you know, the gospel and perfect world, and da, da. And she starts kind of veering off, and she starts talking about uh, gender roles, and she starts talking about, like, marriage and, like, the design of marriage. I'm like, whoa, like, where, what? Like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, if you're telling this to a seventh grade girl, like, she's going to really be confused, right? Because this is not the gospel. I mean, these things are good, yes, but it's not the gospel. This is not the crucial hinge of our faith. So can you communicate it? Are you prepared to do that? Can you share that message? Paul says he shared it both in public and in private. Are you bold enough to say it in a public setting, in a lab group or in your classroom? Are you prepared to share it in a private setting? You have a one-on-one lunch with someone. They're coming over to your house. You're having that conversation. Sometimes that's just, if not more hard. Are you ready to do that? because man no matter what your motives, no matter what your method is, if your message is muddled, if you can't communicate that gospel, man you've you've wasted you've wasted an opportunity and your legacy is not nearly as powerful. So we're about to sing a few more songs. About to enter into a little bit more worship. And I would just encourage you as we have this time, take a minute Think through these pieces of a godly legacy. Think about your motives. What is your focus? Do people see that focus in your life? Or maybe you decide you want to focus on your method, right? Maybe you feel like your motives are good. What's your method? Are you rooted in that faith, right? Are you responding well? Are you humble? Or maybe you need to ask the Lord to really prepare you to get that message set down. Maybe you just need to learn that simple gospel presentation, or maybe you haven't yet accepted that gospel for yourself. And I, let me tell you, that is the most important thing you can possibly do. All of these things, man, remember, it's, it's our goal of going out and establishing a godly legacy. I, had, I, I mentioned I had a funeral a few weeks ago. A kid named Jake Simmons. He was 15 and just died Suddenly. And at his service over at Southwood, over and over again, the things that popped up about him, whether I was having conversations with his family or his friends or his mom got up and spoke at the funeral, over and over and over again, the thing that I heard about Jake was that kid loved Jesus and he wanted his friends to love Jesus. I heard that over and over and over and over again. A 15-year-old kid, that was his legacy. He left all of these people. He had all these non-believing friends that when they thought back to Jake, they didn't just think, oh yeah, I walked to school with them or we played games together. Their memory that they told me was that he loved Jesus Christ. Man, I want all of us to be there. I want that to be our legacy as we leave these organizations, as we leave the school. So let's pray. Lord, Lord, Again, God, we just thank you for the life of Paul. God, we thank you for the example that he set. Lord, we thank you for the legacy that he left behind that doesn't make us think highly of him as much as it makes us think highly of you. So Lord, use these last moments, these last few songs. Speak to us. Stir our hearts. If you would, go ahead and take a moment and just pray to God and ask Him to reveal where you need to focus in terms of your legacy, in terms of this legacy that you're building for Him. Which element could you be working on this week?